Hi Church, today's Bible reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 to 28 and it's my privilege to read it to you this today. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other and we urge you, brothers and sisters, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word. Uh, Thanks, Lisa, and thanks, Ben. And uh, welcome to you from wherever it is that you're watching. Um, I hope you're well. Uh, myself and Kay and Emily and Josiah, we send our love and our greetings uh, to you. And just like Paul said in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, we long to see you again uh, in person uh, one day soon. Uh, but today we're going to finish out the letter of 1 Thessalonians with this great collection of really short, practical, kind of straightforward instructions that are right at the end. Uh, And what Paul is doing is he's addressing their communal life. You kind of can't miss it, can you? I don't know if you picked it up in that Bible reading, but brothers and sisters, five times um, he writes this in these few verses. And so now the idea is that as they do and be church in light of Jesus' return, that they would do and they would be these things with each other. And he starts with what has to be surely one of the most important instructions in the whole letter, the whole New Testament, maybe even the whole Bible, which is, of course, to highly regard and respect your church leaders. Kind of hard to say that one um, with a straight face. Um, Look, I want to lead into these verses by just saying, Parramatta Baptist Church, you knock these verses and these instructions out of the park. Uh, As one of the pastors here, I'm very qualified to say that is such a joy and a delight to lead and to serve uh, in this church community because you are so encouraging, so affirming, so supportive uh, and prayerful. And man, we just love being pastors here at this church. It's such a healthy culture. That's enough of the warm fuzzies. Let's actually get to the text. Now, when we approach a text like this, you always have to ask yourself, why this instruction? I mean, out of all the practical things that Paul could write and include at the end of this letter, why this one, Paul? Well, we know, don't we, from chapter 1, that news had reached Paul of the faith and the witness 
of the Thessalonian believers. Um, he opens his letter with that and he's celebrating much of the good stuff uh, that he sees and he, or that he's heard reported back about their community. But it's fair to assume that he's also heard some other reports as well. And while on the whole, this is an incredibly healthy and vibrant faith community, it would seem like there are some things that, you know, Paul can continue to encourage them into. And so reading between the lines, you just get a sense that that maybe things weren't as harmonious and as peaceful as they could have been between the leadership and uh, kind of those not in leadership uh, in the church. And so I see these verses as a double-edged instruction. This is verses 12 and verse 13 directed at both those who are in positions of leadership in the church uh, and those who receive or or sit under that leadership. Uh, Now, here at PBC, we also have a multitude of people who would fall under the category of those exercising spiritual leadership. Uh, So as we step through these verses, I encourage you to listen and not to tune out thinking this is just for those in vocational ministry. But in verse 12 and 13, what we see is that, according to Paul anyway, this is not a comprehensive list, he's just picking out three things, a leader in God's church is, one, someone who works hard. It's not someone who is half-hearted or apathetic, slack, lazy, or who just adopts the eh, good enough is good enough approach to ministry. Uh, It's someone who is all in, someone whose heart is there, who's passionate about it, who is faithfully stewarding the responsibility and the opportunity that they have to exercise spiritual leadership. As Paul would write to the church in Colossae, working with all your heart as if working for the Lord is what he has in mind for those who are in positions or who exercise leadership in the life of the church. Second, a leader in God's church is someone who cares for people in the Lord. It's not someone who is ministering because they care about their image or their reputation or being impressive and having ministry success no matter the cost. Not about those who are just trying to build their personal brand and, you know, take care of their platform, whatever that means. Now, a true Christian leader is someone who cares for people. And you'll notice specifically cares for people in the Lord. Uh, So Paul doesn't have in mind either someone who just is just a kind of a people person who, like a mother hen's, just really wanting to make sure that everybody is under their wing or, or a big brother, you know, someone who just likes to be liked by everyone and, and in with everyone. And now, a true Christian leader, according to Paul, is someone who is profoundly committed and cares deeply about the way that Jesus is being formed in their life, in your life cares deeply about the way uh, that a person is embracing the fullness of the gospel message about Jesus and cares deeply about making sure that they continue to live that out and and walk that out until he returns. And so it means that part of being a true Christian leader is admonishing. Now, we don't use that word too much these days, uh, but it means someone who corrects, who warns, who guides even confronts where appropriate. It's someone who is loving enough, discerning enough, courageous enough to steer you towards the center of God's will and towards the fullness of living a life in Christ. Just kind of Paul's, he's painted a little bit of a picture of what true Christian leadership is and looks like. Now, for those who receive and who sit under this godly leadership, their response is to be twofold. The first is to acknowledge. 
to acknowledge them as a person, as a fellow believer, to acknowledge their hard work, to acknowledge their heart in serving, acknowledge their gifts and their, their role in the body, maybe even their role in their life. Now, I've already shared what a game changer that is to receive as a leader. And as far as I'm concerned, this is ministry. When you acknowledge your leaders in this way, you are ministering to them in a way that really does build them up and enable them to continue ministering um, with a full heart, I guess, and, and a full bag full of encouragement, which is the best way to minister, I assure you. So that's the first thing. The first response is to acknowledge them, but the second is to regard them highly in love because of their work. So this is not to regard them highly because of their position or title or the letters that come after their name. This is not a respect the position, not the person's sort of instruction. Nor is it about highly regarding someone in love because they're super likable and charismatic either. (laughs) I think um, all of us experience leaders differently and over the course of our life, of course, there's going to be some leaders that we we have a a natural affinity with. Um, And so we find it a little bit more natural maybe to have affection for. Yet Paul is saying here, we regard those in leadership in love because of their work, because they are committed to and they're investing in the spiritual health and growth and maturity of the body of believers. You know, when leaders are leading like this, and people are responding like this. They live at peace. There is harmony. Churches don't get unnecessarily distracted by silly infighting, church politics, power struggles, and the like. It actually means that the church is free to get on with the much more important business of loving God, loving each other, and reaching the world for Christ. Do and be church in light of Jesus' return. And so do and be these things, be this way with each other. Now, this is very practical instructions, uh, as I said. So there isn't too much I think we need to contemplate or even discuss around these verses, as it really is about action. So I'm going to give you a, a moment, and you can hit pause if you want longer, just to consider these two things. And I acknowledge that most of us both uh, kind of exercise leadership and also sit under leadership. So we need to be considering both of the double-edged instructions here in verse 12 and 13. But what is God saying to you about this? And what are you going to do about it? All right, so from verse 14, Paul directs his attention then to the broader interpersonal interactions and relationships that happen within the church. And you'll note that his instruction here is much more strong and directive, isn't it? In verse 12, he simply says, we ask you. Now, if you've read a lot of Paul's letters in the New Testament, you'll know that he's pretty blunt at times and pretty straightforward. So that is a pretty soft ask from the Apostle Paul in verse 12. But in verse 14, it's much more strong. You know, we urge you, brothers and sisters. And again, we can ask ourselves, why this particular instruction, Paul? And there are clues already in the letter. Paul has already warned those who are idle and disruptive. This is chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, that they should mind their own business and work with their hands. Paul has already encouraged those who might be disheartened. Again, this is chapter 4, but towards the end. 
You know, we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, therefore encourage one another with these words. And Paul has already expressed a bit of concern for the faith of some of those who are in the church in Thessalonica. This is 3 verse 10. You know, that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So I think for us today, as we start to think through these verses, um, I don't want us to jump to thinking about, okay, well, who's idle and disruptive in our church that we can warn or who's disheartened that we can encourage? I actually think there's a much bigger takeaway and a more important uh, blanket principle that we take from this. And that is in verse 14, that we always strive to do what is good for each other. Uh, Now, you and I, we know what it is to strive for something we value, don't we? Whether that's going after a particular achievement or trying to master a skill or even being committed to building a healthy relationship, we strive towards and for those things that we value. Maybe it's a little bit embarrassing, but um, um, this year one of the things I've been striving for is just to do our YouTube channel really well. Like I, I know that for many people you're thinking that's not part of your job description and you'd be just as happily happy if we uploaded these services and it just said October 11, enjoy. Um, but I've been reading up about it and I think if you're going to do something, do it well. So learning all about YouTube as a platform, you know, it's the second largest search engine after Google, that there's 2 billion logged in users every month uh, and just the power and the reach of that. So I've been, you know, in my own time, you know, attending sort of online conferences and training courses around things like thumbnails and tags and SEO and and all this stuff I never thought I'd learn uh, in January, February or March. And yet here we are. And the point is this, that that when we strive for something, we are disciplined, aren't we? And we're intentional in going the extra mile for it. You know, we give it our mental energy, we give it our emotional energy, and we give it the most precious commodity of all, our time. And so Paul urges the Thessalonians, and by extension you and I, to strive for the good of each other, to be disciplined and intentional in going the extra mile for the good of each other. To spend our emotional energy and our mental energy and that most precious commodity, our time, for the good of each other. Now again, there's probably a bunch of other stuff I could say about these verses, uh, particularly the other part of verse 15, but I feel that's counterproductive because this is supposed to be short, simple, practical collection of instructions at the end of the letter. So instead, what I want you to do is is I want us all to think about how we can immediately put this into practice in in one specific way this week. How can we go that extra mile above and beyond to do something for the good of somebody else within our faith community this week? Maybe you want to take the time to actually write an encouragement, email, text, snail mail, however you do that, that could be a really good thing to do. Maybe you want to block out 15 minutes every day this week to intentionally pray for and intercede over someone you know who's just doing it tough in their walk with God at the moment. Maybe you want to reach out and meet up with someone to read the word together. Maybe you want to bless someone that you know that's really under the pump, that's super busy, and you just go, you know what, I'm going to come over and I'm going to mow your lawn. Like, you know that's always welcome in people's lives. 
maybe someone's super busy and you just want to bless them as uh, a couple. And so you might say, hey, this Saturday morning, why don't we look after your kids and you two go on a brunch date together? All those sort of ideas. But the great thing about striving to do good for each other is that there's almost no limit around that. There's no, you can just let your imagination run wild. And so that's my challenge right now as part of the message is to pause this video and not to brainstorm all the ways that you could express verse 15, but to identify who you're going to put that into action for this week, how you're going to do that, and when you're going to do that as well. All right, so the passage continues in verse 16 with rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, what a power-packed three verses. You could quite happily do a whole sermon on each of those verses. I like to think of these three things as the trifecta for perspective-shifting, attitude-altering activity that we can partake in as a Christian disciple. Uh, It changes stuff when we rejoice and pray and give thanks, doesn't it? And you know that Paul doesn't write to the church in Thessalonica saying, hey, this might be a good idea to do every now and again, or these are really good things to do when the mood is right, when you feel like doing them. No, the instruction is always, continually, in all circumstances, rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Now, Hands up if you have experienced the power of these three things in your own life. I'm going to trust that your hand is up wherever you're watching from. Uh, Hands up if you know that you are often far too slow to turn to these things in your life. Uh, That would certainly be me, guilty as charged. You know, if, if I'm honest, there are times in my life where I find myself just having a pity party. Have you been there? Where life is frustrating and you're carrying anger around some things and you just want to grumble. There's something weirdly cathartic and empowering about just grumbling about stuff as well. And there are times where, um, because I married such an awesome woman, uh, she'd encourage me, Kay encouraged me, hey, why don't you pray about this? I'm too too busy grumbling, right? Um, Because I know that the moment I pray, the grumbling stops. It's not that the circumstances shift, but something in me shifts. And I love it and I've experienced it time after time again. There is a power that when we come to God in prayer, some of our temporary frustrations and our worries just melt away in his presence. The things that we are holding so tight to, we just release over to him and we surrender to him afresh. Instead of being like a petulant child that is complaining about one or two things, It's far more natural and you almost can't be anything other than a humble, grateful servant, giving thanks to God for for the many blessings that each of us carry in our lives and to recognize actually that that all of those are a gift from him, a gift of grace, undeserved, unmerited. And we sit in his presence and we allow his love to wash over us afresh and we receive his peace. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. There is a potency to incorporating these into our personal lives. And I'll be one of the first people to line up and give testimony to how 
good it is to do these things, particularly when life is tough. Uh, And that potency and that power only gets magnified when we do that also in community with others. You know, John Stott in particular, uh, he's at pains to remind us that this is still in a passage that's talking about church life, our communal life, that these are corporate uh, language here in verse 16, 17, 18. In fact, he even goes so far to, to, to think of them as directives for church gatherings, that Paul is writing to the Thessalonian believers saying that these things should characterize your services, for lack of a better word, your, your gatherings whenever you get together. Both individually and corporately, these are perspective-shifting, attitude-altering activities. And importantly, they're part of God's will for each of us. And so Paul knows, he's heard that the Thessalonian believers are experiencing an increase in persecution. It's not that life is really simple and really easy and really cruisy for them. And in that context, he gives this instruction. So let's do this now. Whether you're alone or with others, when you pause this video to rejoice, rejoice in who God is and the love that he lavishes on us as his children. Pause and just pray, just actually acknowledge his presence right there with you and give thanks in all the circumstances, no matter what is going on in your life at the moment, rejoice, pray and give thanks and experience the blessing of doing so. So to close out the letter, Paul reiterates and he comes back to stressing the importance of holy living. And he talks in both ways in terms of the active work of God in us to sanctify us or to make us holy, but also our active work in walking in step with the Spirit, to partnering, enjoying in that work that God is doing in us. Uh, Now, Steve Frost talked about this quite a bit in chapter 4, so if you haven't yet watched uh, that Church Online, I encourage you to go and do that because I'm not going to add too much more than that other than to stress the importance of listening and obeying. Listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit both directly for ourselves and through others is part of what it means to join with what God is at work doing in us. And we want to be discerning about that. We want to test what we hear, what we sense against the scriptures. And then As it is confirmed, we want to actually respond to it in faith, in obedience, by saying yes. Listening and then not responding is a bit like throwing a bucket of water on a fire, quenching the spirit. So that's it from me today and our series in 1 Thessalonians. There is simply so much in this passage, these short, punchy, practical instructions, uh, each of which can actually take us to a really deep place with God as we listen for what his Holy Spirit is speaking to us and speaking over us through those verses. So I'm going to pray for us in just a second to end our time together. But then my encouragement is to pause this video once more and to actually just read through the passage for yourself. And as you do, I want you to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is he speaking, prompting, saying to you through this passage? 
And then my encouragement, as always, is to say yes to what the Spirit prompts and leads. So allow me to pray. Wherever you are today, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify, that is, make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit, body and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today, may you know the encouragement and the certainty that the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.